Let me encourage you to open up a Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 4, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab a blue pew Bible, and you can find that on page 953. Um, but I would just add, along with the rest, it is good to see you at all. Um, around here, the weekend after Labor Day kind of feels like this kickoff Sunday of sorts for churches. Um, not so much, doesn't feel as much this year when it's 95 degrees still, but uh, the calendar says it's September, so we're going to act accordingly. And uh, a lot of our ministries are really getting going again for all ages. Uh, you've heard about the church picnic. It's been a long-standing tradition this time of year to do that. And so, um, yeah, if you, if you don't come for the fellowship and the people, just come for the Chick-fil-A and food truck. I don't know what else you need to know uh, about that, but hope to see you there Saturday at 4 o'clock. And then uh, this is also just the time of year where things start to shift in a church. And Megan addressed the kindergartners who are beginning in the sanctuary for the first time, and that's a big moment for them and for their parents. They'll now be singing alongside their kids, worshiping together, affirming the creed together. Um, and then they now have their first time down in kids' worship. And so I just want to take a moment because there's something on the other side of that. On the other side of that, there are now sixth graders who are no longer in kids' worship. Again, you have made that shift, and you'll be now in the service full time. And so I just want to take a, a moment to just address to our sixth graders directly. Um, and, you know, the seventh and eighth graders, you guys, are, you, know, you guys can listen in too. This is uh, also for, for you. I know it still maybe it feels like a shift for you to not be in kids' worship anymore. And I just want to say that we as a church, we celebrate that. And maybe for you, it might not feel like a big deal or it might not feel like this big thing, but uh, I just hope you see that this is a signpost for you. Uh, a signpost of God growing you and entering you into a new phase, a new chapter in life, uh, including in the life of the church. And yeah, for some of you, it won't be a hard transition, uh, but we know over the years that for some of you, this will be difficult. And there's a, there's a sense and uh, an angst, a grieving of not being part of kids' worship. And we just want to freely acknowledge that, that it's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to feel that and to just admit that change can be hard. And kids' worship is an amazing ministry. Uh, what, what Megan and her team are doing down there is, is just frontline, disciple-making, great work. And so I just want to say to you directly that Megan's hope for you um, and my hope for you is that God would use those years in kids' worship to not only give you good memories kind of in the memory bank, but to prepare you for uh, being in here now. To, to prepare you for now hearing the preaching of his word each week that you uh, will start to pick up little by little. Like, 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 like food nourishes your body, that the preaching of your word would nourish your soul just one meal at a time. And so it's good to have you here. And it's a good week to start because we are beginning a new sermon series, as Pastor Ben mentioned, um, on the vision of the church. And it, we're calling it Stewarding Grace. And each year we do a series in September related to the vision of the local church. I've lost count. I think we're in year seven or year eight of doing this now. And uh, it's not just a vision of Grace Church, but it's of the local church in particular. And it is my hope that we're not just doing this because now it's year seven and year eight. It's just what we do. It's just become tradition now. Um, I'm sure you can attest that there are some times in life it can just be easier to keep doing things because you've always done them all across your life. Like, why do you do it? Well, it's because we've always done it. I don't think that's the case here because we still have the conviction to do this kind of series every year because, um, simply put, we believe deeply in the mission of the local church. Uh, we are a local church that loves the local church. And maybe you first hear that, you're like, well, duh, why wouldn't you love the local church? But that's actually um, maybe not as common as you might think. I'm not saying we just love Grace Church. I say we love the local church. And we believe deeply in the local church, of which Grace Church gets to be a part of. That, that the people of God across the whole world are united as the, the universal church, right? That we, that we affirm every week in the Apostles' Creed. 
But then that universal church is made visible. It's made visible by embodied presence of local churches to the ends of the earth. And each local gathering is an embassy of a heavenly kingdom here and now. There's a heavenly kingdom with King Jesus, and every church is an embassy to that kingdom where people are discipled together. They serve as a witness to be the saving power of Jesus Christ to shine that light. And so you cannot, I cannot stand here and overestimate the importance of the local church. I can't do it. Words would fail. And it's because Jesus' words in Matthew 18 says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. And so, yeah, every year now at Grace Church, we decide, you know what? Simply, we want to remind ourselves of this. And for some of you, this will be new because it's your first time at Grace Church in September. And for you sixth graders, it's your first time because it's your first time in the sanctuary in September. And maybe you have not heard explicit teaching on why the church matters. Um, But it's not just for those who are, quote-unquote, new. It's also because we all need to remember And when a church loses sight of its vision, it gets lost. Okay, so if you're driving in your car and you don't know where you're going, what are you doing at that point? You you don't have a destination. You don't know where you're going, but you're driving. What's happening in that moment? You're doing something, but you're going nowhere. You're just driving around. And so often, so often, in the same way, if a church does not know where it's going, guys, where are we going? Why are we here? Then this is all just kind of busyness. We're just filling the calendar. We're just doing stuff, churchy stuff, but we're going nowhere. Just driving around. So if our busyness is then rooted in a vision, we're okay with busyness, we're okay with pouring ourselves out, but if we understand that's part of something bigger, then let's go. And it's time to go. And we're pretty honest here at Grace Church that we expect a lot of our people. If you come here, we're going to ask a lot of you. We're going to expect a lot of you. Uh, because we think God asks a lot from us. But, but, but here's the deal, all right? Hang with me here. Look around. We're in New Jersey. Okay, you being called to center your life on Jesus Christ, you being called to um, commit to the local church, this is happening right now in a time and in a place and in a region where that will gain you zero social capital. Zero social capital, right? There perhaps was a time when being part of a church did grant some element of social standing. Uh, Maybe it was needed for some level of respect in the community or position that you wanted, Maybe it was needed to, to indicate to others, I have a sense of morality. Uh, maybe it was needed to have a vital place in the place that God has placed you in. But hear me, those days are gone. They're not just fading, they're gone. And I say that because maybe, again, there was a time, and maybe there still are places where being part of a church does not require a vision to stick with it. And people just go to church because they just go to church. Because they had to. But that's gone around here. All right, are you guys getting inspired by this vision series yet? Is this working? Uh, but honestly, here's why that's a good thing. Here's why I love pastoring in New Jersey, in an area where most people don't want to come pastor in New Jersey. It's that I know that for those who are here right now, it's more likely, maybe not guaranteed, but it's more likely that you're here because you want to be, not because you have to be. And what's going to keep you here and, and have you want to draw others into this as well is an increasingly strong grasp of Jesus Christ's vision and deep affection for the local church. Because once you grasp that, like really grasp that vision, then you won't be able to help but share in that affection too. 
And when you share in that affection, then we will pour ourselves out. It won't be a dutiful obligation. It will be a willing sacrifice for us all. And so last year, we did a series called Future Grace. And what we did in, with that vision was really, that was the product of a kind of full year of discussions with staff, with elders, with leadership, that took a snapshot of Grace Church in 2030. In 2030, what does Grace Church look like? What do we want to be true of our church that's called on mission in the suburbs? And our vision that came out of that is that we will raise up and deploy hundreds of people transformed by the gospel and spiritually formed in Christ for the purpose of mercy and multiplication. Not either or, both and. Spiritually formed for mercy and multiplication. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to know Christ in that way, make him known in that way? And we created this pathway that we are going to commit to gather, grow, give, and go. And this year in the series Stewarding Grace, we just want to simply sharpen that and lean further into that because God is writing a story here. God is writing a story that is unfolding before our eyes, and we've been honest about it and we'll continue to be honest. It's even happening faster than we anticipated. And so we want to steward that well, which leads us to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And so if the Bible's open, look down at verses 1 and 2. These two verses are going to be kind of the banner verses over this entire series. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. This series, Stewarding Grace, on one hand affirms what that passage just said, that we are all stewards of the mysteries of God. And Paul reveals that the mystery being the grace of God in Jesus Christ is the Savior for all people. That's the mystery that has been revealed throughout Scripture. The grace of God in Jesus Christ as the Savior for all people. And when you have received that grace, as many of you have, you then become a steward of that grace. It's not optional. Once you receive it, you are steward of it. Each person, each church is made up of grace-filled persons that live out of the overflow of that grace. You receive it, and then you steward it. And this series, Stewarding Grace, will allow us to take stock of the fact that God has been at work at Grace Church. And I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it again and again. Our goal at Grace Church has always been health. We want to be a healthy church. Or, as verse 2 just said, we want to be found faithful. Like from the deepest parts of my soul, to be able to go to sleep at night and say, at this church, we want to be found faithful faithful in our commitment to know him and to make him known. And what we have found that in the midst of that, God has chosen to grow us. And God is currently growing us faster than we anticipated. And so, yeah, we want to be able to celebrate that, give God the glory to that, but then we have a responsibility now to commit to steward that well. And we're all called to steward this well. And stewardship in anything, but particularly in the local church, it's not easy, but it's not complicated either. Okay, hear me. It's not easy, but easy doesn't mean that it's um, uh, not complicated. That, that we at Grace Church feel that we will see people spiritually formed in Christ in a way that leads to multiplication when we commit to gather, grow, give, and go. Simple, not easy, but simple. And so for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at the first. That we gather at Grace Church on Sundays, we gather. And so now for that, we're going to turn back in our Bibles a little bit to Acts chapter 9. So if you have a Blue Pew Bible, you can go back to 918. Acts chapter 9. 
We're going to look at one verse out of Acts 9 this morning. And I'll give a little bit of the context of this verse after I read it. But here's Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. All right, the context of this verse is right on the heels of the conversion of a guy named Paul. He went by Saul, he was a Pharisee, who was literally hunting down Christians in chapter 8. In chapter 9, he encountered the grace of God in Jesus Christ and was transformed by the truth of the gospel. And this transformation by the grace of God now sends him out to preach the word of God to Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul, hunting Christians, transformed by the gospel, now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, all in a chapter. And as he began his ministry, he's facing all kinds of opposition right out of the gate. Okay, The Jews want to kill him because he's a traitor in their eyes. And the disciples, the Christians, don't trust him. Understandably. Because not that much earlier, he wanted to kill them. So there's Paul's entrance into ministry. The Jews want to kill him, and the Christians don't trust him. Welcome to ministry, Paul. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And so the 10 to 15 verses leading up to verse 31 are recounting all the trials Paul's facing, all the opposition, all the people that want to kill him. Multiple groups, multiple factions are after him, escaping everywhere he goes. And then verse 31 comes out of seemingly nowhere. 10 to 15 verses of opposition, and then verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. If you were reading that for the first time, you would rub your eyes and thought you skipped over a section. Is there a page missing in my Bible? How can you account for verse 31 when everything we just read was opposition? And it's in that moment that the reader is reminded that Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so before anything else, Acts 9.31 shows us that in God's economy, in this upside-down kingdom that has been ushered in, here's the thing. Trials, they don't limit faith. They expand faith. That's true in the church, and that's true in your life. That trials you face do not limit your faith. They expand your faith in God's economy. And so we're going to just take a look at that verse for the rest of our time. Um, Those three places, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, those are not street names side by side. They are whole regions of places filled with a lot of people, meaning this is not a single church, but this is multiple local churches that are now spreading, being planted, spreading, growing from Jerusalem where the church began, where up to this point in Acts chapter 9, it was the only place the church had been. And so Acts 9, in that verse, just starts to show you the fulfillment of what Jesus said What's going to happen. This thing's going to spread. This thing's going to start to go. And you're seeing the beginnings of the spread of the local church. Distinct, separate, embodied gatherings that are connected in their mission and vision. And I remind us this every year, probably in this series, because it's something we need to hear every year. That the Greek word for church in the New Testament is, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong like I do every year, um, ekklesia, ekklesia, something like that. I'm really smart. But that literally means assembly or gathering. That's the meaning of church. 
is the assembly or the gathering. Meaning, if a church never regularly meets, it is no church at all. A local church is not just a group of believers in a region. It's certainly not the physical structure or building they meet in. That's not the church. It is the regular assembly of believers or the gathering of believers. It is the people of God gathered. Um, Matt Merker wrote a little book called Corporate Worship, and I think he puts that well. It'll be quote on the screen. He says, meeting isn't just something churches do. A meeting is, in part, what a church is. A church is more than a gathering, of course. It gathers and scatters then gathers again. Its members continue to be part of the church throughout the week as they serve and represent Christ in their homes, their workplaces, their neighborhoods. But a church is never less than a gathering. What this means is that the church is, it, um, is most itself, the church is its churchiest, if you will, the time when it is gathered together for worship. Uh, another shorter quote by Sam Albury helpfully says that each week for the gathering, people don't enter a church. The church enters a building. Read that one again. The people don't enter a church. It's the church gathers and they enter a building. And so here's the point to be conveyed. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he means universal church expressed in local gatherings. I will build my gatherings so that you can be assured and perhaps even fueled to live the kind of life that doesn't just agree to gather for worship doesn't just say, I want that to be a part of my life. I want to get there when I can. But I want you to want to live the kind of life where your soul aches for this. Like, like, like to live, like to pour yourself out and following Christ, especially in this time, in this region, to say, Sunday is not just, if I can get there, I'll get there. It's like, no, I need this. I can't even maybe put the words to it, but my soul aches for this. In every emotion that you're experiencing. Because we all live lives across 52 Sundays that go up and down. And there's going to be weeks you're going to be feeling beaten down, limping figuratively, literally into this place. And there's going to be weeks, by God's grace, you're flying high. And yet we are all living our lives in such a way to say, wherever you are on any given week, I ache for this. That when we enter this building on a Sunday morning, We will find assurance and power that we are doing in that very moment, the very moment of deciding in your mind and going with your feet, that that moment is exactly in line with what Jesus said uh, he would do 2,000 years ago. The story is still unfolding, you see, and the gates of hell still won't stand against it. It's the story that was taking place now in Acts chapter 9 in Judea and Galilee and even Samaria against all odds. And it's the story that is taking place in Ridgewood this morning, right now, against all odds. That you are part of something bigger than yourself when you enter this place. And again, you affirm that in your heart every time you decide, I'm going to gather with the church today. Because I am the church. And this is what the church is at its foundation. This is what it is. It's a It's a gathering. Well, 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 if that's what the church fundamentally is, there's still a question out there. Why is that the case? Why does it matter? What happens if I don't go? 
What happens when the people of God gather together for the purpose of purposing, uh, purpose of uh, praising and worshiping God? What is happening in these moments? Two things from Acts 9.31. First, it strengthens faith. And then second, it awakens faith. Two things happen every time the church gathers. One, it strengthens faith. And two, it awakens faith. And so we're going to take those one at a time. First, it strengthens faith. First half of verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. How does this build you up? What about what is happening here in our ordinary, regular gatherings doing to build us up? The strengthening happens through the elements of the gathering and through the fellowship of the gathering. Those two things. Uh, the, the elements of the gathering, that coming out of the Reformation in the 16th century, there was something known as the regulative principle. The regulative principle, which states that what, what we do when we gather together are to be regulated by the Word of God, and not just what we think is going to be best in 2023. That the Word of God regulates what we do when we gather. In his book, Does God Care How We Worship? Ligon Duncan writes this, quote beyond the screen, the Bible Not our own innovations, imaginations, experiences, opinions, and representations is to be the source of our idea of God. Love that. The source of our idea of God. The Bible is to be central in forming our image of God and informing our worship of him. Um, Let's put it this way. Uh, scripture, uh, Scripture is often using the illustration of strengthening your body to explain maturing in your faith. They, they always put these kind of parallels together of, of, of strengthening your body and strengthening your faith. And the reason is because both then, 2,000 years ago, and now, we understand that strengthening your body requires physical exercise of your body's muscles. That if you want to get stronger in your body, something's going to have to be exerted in your physical muscles to strengthen them. Okay, so there's not only one way to exercise, all right? There's a lot of ways you can strengthen your body. But hear me, no one has ever gotten stronger without exercise. And we know people have tried. All right, I vividly remember seeing commercials while in elementary school and middle school of companies that invite, invented devices that promised to build muscle without having to work out. Like, anybody remember these? Let, let, let me share two in particular that were very common. Abtronics and fast abs. Some of you have these in your like attic. I know you do. I won't come and search. But abtronics and fast abs were a belt that you would put around your waist, press a button that, I don't know, vibrates the belt and gives you abs. And the commercials would be of these models looking spelt, all right, sitting on a couch eating potato chips, like watching a movie, talking and laughing together, just wearing a belt. And then the next minute, they're all on the beach with no shirts on, playing frisbee, just looking jacked. And then the end of the commercial is, buy now for just $39.99. You know what happened? Guess what? A ton of people bought them. And guess what? No one got apps. So the Federal Trade Commission sued them. The FTC sued them for false advertising. And the actual report says this, quote, they have falsely advertised that users will get six-packs or washboard abs without exercise. Bye-bye, fast abs belt. There's not one way to worship. 
but no one has ever gotten stronger in their faith without the Word of God shaping their worship of Him. So the regulative principle coming out of the Reformation says that when the people of God gather, we simply but convictionally do it this way. Read the Word. Sing the Word. Pray the Word. Preach the Word. Partake in the Word. Five things. Let me say them again. This is the regulative principle. Read the Word. Sing the Word. Pray the Word. Preach the Word. Partake in the Word. So every single week when you come in this place, what's going to happen? You're going to hear the Word of God read. It begins with our call to worship, right? Which is why, and we know it's hard to get here on time, but like it does something in us when you're here when this service begins. That it begins not with just, hey, how are you guys doing? Let's stand and sing. It begins with, let's stand and hear the word of God read, calling us into worship, declaring that God initiates his work towards us. He beckons us to himself. He doesn't say, you have to come find me. He says, I came to you first. That's where our call to worship indicates every single week. And we respond to his word together. We set our hearts upon him. Wherever God's word is read, God's people are strengthened. Wherever God's word is read, God's people are strengthened. Next, we sing the word. Uh, As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Like, Like, we don't just sing songs that sound good, but rather we sing songs that we yearn to be rooted in biblical truth. And the real formative power in this is not how good the worship team sounds up here, but rather how much singing is happening out there. That is where you are formed in the congregational singing. All right, That's why our lights are on and not off in this place. Because I want you to see and feel there are people around me that I'm singing with. And that forms you when the word of God is sung. Next, we pray the word. As this wonderful kind of acting out of our unity that we have spirituality in Christ. That we speak as one voice to God when somebody is here leading in congregational prayer. Every single week, it's an opportunity as a church to acknowledge his glory and his power. It's why those who are leading congregational prayer are often just quoting scripture in the midst of their prayer. It's also acknowledging our weakness and our need, bringing our needs to him. And we pray that way as one voice to God. We realize you are God, we are not. We are dependent upon you. It helps us discover that our lives as followers of Christ are tied up with one another's in this place. Your story has been tied together with a whole bunch of other stories in this place. And then we preach the word. Where the ultimate goal is to let the glory of God shine through the text and through the sermon. That the ultimate goal is to give you a sense of God through the preaching of his word. Like a sense of Christ that leads to a growing knowledge, that leads to a growing affection and a growing obedience of his people that will fuel your life. I won't do that. You take a Bible out of my hand, I'm really uninteresting. I'm not just saying that to be self-deprecating. All right, I, I could talk for like two minutes and then I'm out. But if, if I'm giving you a sense of God through the preaching of his word, that can be fuel for us all. And then we partake in the word by observing the ordinances, the baptism and the Lord's Supper, 
that we now have these visible signs of God's grace that we remember together in a way that strengthens our resolve to follow him. That every single week when we partake in the Lord's Supper, it points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It points us to the death on the cross and the gift of new life that he's offered. And you're holding it and you're tasting it and you're watching others do it too. That that does something in you. It strengthens you. So we are built up week by week by the ordinary, simple elements of the gathering. But it's done in the context of community. In the embodied fellowship of one another. That what we see play out every single week is that everyone has a role to play in the gathering each week. That the moment you cross the threshold, you begin with what Spurgeon called the ministry of attendance. Everybody at their core has the ministry of attendance. Not every member is going to serve every week. Not every member is going to serve in the same way. But each member can commit to the ministry of attendance. And and showing up doesn't just put you in a position to receive what you need through the people of God, but it puts you in a position to give what you have to the people of God, mainly your presence, your physical embodied presence to worship alongside God for his glory. And and so I, I don't say this to try to kind of feed your ego or your pride, but to affirm you and remind you that your attendance on Sunday morning is your most basic blessing to other people. That it is simple yet powerfully encouraging to show up to attend the gathering and see, you know what, others are attending as well. You might not even know them personally, you probably don't, but you see them there and that you have, you're seeing play out. They've had the same conviction I do, that on Sundays we gather That my life is going to be prioritized and maintained by the gathering of God's people for the purpose of strengthening faith. And I'm here. And I'm here for it. And you are too. And it's your most basic blessing to others. That after spending a week scattered apart, we collectively choose to gather once again. And so the question, here's the question I want you to just begin asking in your mind if you're not already. I know many, if not most of you, are already is not, hey, it's Sunday's coming. Do I need to go to church today? That's not the only question. There's also the question, does the church need me to go to church today? Does the church need me there? And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the answer is always yes. And then our fellowship and our conversations with one another, these little two-minute conversations, five-minute conversations, ten-minute conversations, you might think they're awkward, you might hate them, I just want to get out as fast as I can, I get it, but God does something in them. There's a strengthening work in them in community. And for those with families and with kids, that you're just not getting them to church so Miss Megan can make them good Christians. But they themselves are gathering with you, being strengthened by the word through the giftings and the service of fellow members in the nursery and in kids' worship. But there's also something about you in your home saying, guys, we're going to church today. And that they see other families committing to that. And your kids are living their lives apart from in a world that feels very unchurchy. This world feels very unchurchy to your kids. They need this too strengthening them, even if they don't have the framework for what's actually happening in them. We can go on and on, but we'll stop there for that point. The gathering strengthens faith. And then finally, the gathering awakens faith. The second half of Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, comma, 
it multiplied. This is happening all throughout the book of Acts. That little last phrase is all over the place that the people of God were doing this, pouring into each other, pouring into each other, comma, and the Lord adds their number day by day. What? How? How'd that happen? Oh, it just, it happens. They're walking in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, comma, it multiplied. That ever since God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he will make a great nation out of his family line, this family line that would be eventually leading to the birth of Jesus Christ, he told Gen- uh, Abraham in Genesis 12 that the people of God would be blessed in order to be a blessing. And his intention is always to be working through the people of, people of God to reach the world. Uh, it was true of Israel all throughout the Old Testament in Psalm 67 verse 1 and 2. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And that just remained true and it remained true from the Old Testament to the New Testament where Jesus began the church and calls the church to be the light of the world so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The church, when it gathers, doesn't have to choose whether or not they are there to strengthen the faith of the believers or to awaken the faith of non-believers. This is not an either-or. Are you going to be the kind of church that reaches non-believers or the kind of church that strengthens believers? It's never a choice in the Bible. He says that when we worship God, when we gather, he uses it to accomplish both. And the very nature of the gathering, when rightfully carried out, will attract the interest of non-believers. As Christ is proclaimed and people are welcomed, that they are shown, hey, there's room for you here. We got room for you here. We want you here. There's a story being written here and you have a line. Again, back to Merker in his book, Corporate Worship, he writes this. He says, this sort of gathering, which by God's grace is pretty normal Sunday for us, should leave the world speechless. Where else can you find such a bizarre mix of people, all praising the same triune God? Where else do folks who have, have very little in common gather to bear each other's burdens? This bright witness for the gospel is possible because the church gathers. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you are strengthened here. And the gathering is also a means in which you can invite others that by God's grace, their faith can be awakened here. And I yearn for you to ache for both. This gathering is not the only way God saves his people, but it often plays a part. That for people in your life who do not know him, can see the people of God gathered together. That is a witness you can't do by yourself. And friends, if you are here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, I I say as often as I can because I truly mean it, that we are glad you are here. That's not just a throwaway line for us. Because, again, in this area, coming to church in this area, sorry to break it to you, zero social capital. But it is our desire that you would feel welcomed here, not pressured here. 
but we're also very honest that our greatest desire is that your eyes would be open to the beauty of the gospel. That you'd be attracted to the hope that can be found in Christ. That you'd be set free through the repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ who paid for that sin on the cross and offers you forgiveness by his grace as you receive him. So, altogether, this is very much why one of the markers of our vision of spiritual formation at Grace Church is that on Sundays, we gather. No social capital, no credibility, not as a way to stand God's good side so he has to bless you, not to give your family just a good moral foundation in life, but a primary means that God will strengthen faith and awaken faith. And so we gather because we are stewards of God's grace towards us. And you could sum it all up with the stewardship of showing up. The stewardship of showing up. Not out of guilt, not out of, out of obligation, not overlooking for the fact that some of you it's really hard to show up for a lot of reasons. But the people of God show up. And they do it for his glory. They do it for one another. And they do it for their witness in the world. And guys, at Grace Church, people have been showing up. And if God continues to draw people to Grace Church to multiply what's happening here, we're going to prayerfully have to make some decisions as a church. What are we going to do? People are showing up. What are we going to do? And it's our conviction that on this corner that was selected in October 1946, where Grace Church was planted, that Grace Church will gather here. It might not only be here, but it will at least be here. We will be a light in this corner of the world as he has called us to. It's not because he needs us, but he's choosing to use us to participate in the story that he's writing. God seems to be saying, he seems to be saying, I'm starting to do a work in this area. Guys, this is not just us that's seen growth at their church in this area. God's at work in this area. God seems to say, I'm strengthening this area. I'm beginning to move here. You want to come? And so I'm letting you know, as the leadership of this church, we're going. And we want you to come. But we leave that to you. Let's pray. Father, we are continually humbled by your word, inspired by your word, Lord, that our, our idea of vision doesn't come from our own creativity or our charisma or our ability to package words together. But our vision is just grabbing hold of what you have set forth in your word. Give us a grasping of it, Lord. Give us a deeper understanding than when we walked in this morning when you said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Father, give us an affection for it that we'll see ourselves caught up in this, can see our families caught up in this, that can be part of something that is bigger than ourselves, that has been moving ever since Acts chapter 9, spreading. And now we're in this story. Let us steward that well, Lord. Let it be for your glory. And we thank you for this gathering. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, in whom our hope is found. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.